Tesla's revenue just gets better and better and better. And when you overlay on top of that return on equity, it's like an undulating hill going upwards. Okay. Yeah. And it's currently sitting at around 20 something percent. Okay. So revenue grow, grow, grow and return on equity better, better, better. I look for businesses that are fundamentally changing humankind for the better. That's a really important thing at a personal value level. And then Chris Mayer says in his book that the average time for a company to grow 100-fold is 25 years. That's the average. So you need to have the patience of, like, of a monk. Hey there, and welcome to Stock Club podcast brought to you by my wall street i'm mike and joining me today's episode is emmett savage from the my wall street analyst team quick word from my friends and sponsors at vodafone business before we get on with the show vodafone have recently launched their vhub digital advisory service offering irish businesses of all sizes free one-to-one digital support and advice you don't even have to be a vodafone business customer to avail of this service search vodafone vhub to book a call with one of vhub digital experts and we will leave a link in the show notes for today's episode emmett how are we doing just myself and yourself you today Good to see you, Michael. How are you? How is that to France treating you? Mighty. Heatwave is heatwave is broken. I was in uh, Bordeaux at the match at the weekend, so cannot complain. Ah, oh, I didn't know you were there. Yeah. Um, well, you missed the Irish heatwave, Michael. Forty-eight hours of it. Um, yeah. You missed it. <laughs> the Irish, the Irish summer in September comes along. Yeah. It was all oh, every year. Hmm. Yeah. Mm. Oh, September is my favorite. It is my favorite month. It's just the most reliable where you can actually sit out in your garden and uh, enjoy the weather for a fleeting moment. Is that the opinion of a uh, father to school going kids, though? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like September is where you get the get the release. Ah, uh, no, to be fair, I'd, I'd rather they were with me. But still, look, we got to grab our, our photons when they're thrown down at us from the sky. Yeah. Okay. Um, before we get into the show, there's two things we need to bring up because we're going to be talking yeah. about Tesla today. First is, did you hear that he has a third child with uh, Grimes, the pop star Grimes called Techno Maximus? It rings a bell. You know, I haven't been keeping a track of his family tree, but I no. did read his family situation is quite complex. Well, he's got about 15 kids now. He wants to repopulate the earth with a bunch of mini me genius musks running around. He has a uh, he has a a child who transitioned, and I I'm not too sure of the details of that. But they basically disowned him and changed their surname by deed poll and want nothing to do with him. I was reading a really interesting excerpt from Walter Isaacson's autobiography, or rather biography of him, in last week's Sunday Times, and you know his backstory is as complex as his front story you know like there's there's some serious like it's it's even just listening to his family affairs is quite it's a quite entangled story where you know some of his kids one just don't even want to meet him don't even want his name and then some of his other kids are obviously on the other end so it's it's yeah i'm not a bit surprised to hear he has a a, a child called what, what did you say alpha beta gamma oh no he's got he's got x the XAE12, there's a Y, yeah. and now there's the third one is Techno Maximus. So just to Techno. make up the hat trick. That's a good one. Techno Maximus Savage. That has a certain gravitas <laughs> to it. I, I, I wish I'd have thought of that one first. Yeah, I think Savage sure. gives it, gives every kind of first name a bit of an edge. Yeah, yeah, you have to choose carefully. My wife, when our first was born, liked the name Christian. And I said, Christian Savage, are you kidding? That's like the first settlers in, in like you know, the wildest West. St. Peter moving to Rome or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. It's uh, a sentence. Christian Savage is a sentence. Full yeah. stop. Christian Savage. He was a Christian Savage. Um, all right. Well, let's get into the show. So, And we talked all last week about the benefits of long-term investing essentially and following on from that you stuck up a poll on twitter and you the question posed to your many 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 followers emish was um which stock would you buy and hold for the next 30 years so the choices were airbnb atlassian netflix and tesla unsurprisingly tesla won out i think the fandom is still strong and it's had an unbelievable year but were you surprised by the results or did they kind of come as expected? Well, thanks for really overstating my followership for a start. <laughs> but 450, I think people responded to the 
the polls. So it's not an insignificant survey. And off the bat, I disagree with the end result, but I hope that the majority are right because Tesla is, in fact, my largest holding, um, or at least it was the last time I checked. I don't check these things often uh, with Netflix in set, second place. But I sent that poll because there are four, these are four businesses primarily known uh, and of passing interest to more or less everybody with the possible exception of Atlassian, which is... I think as most of our listeners know, an Australian software company that develops products for software developers and project managers and people in companies. It does things like Jira and Confluence and Trello and Bitbucket and Bamboo and a whole range of tools that you use if you're in the bowels of a business. But a few things happen when a voting public is asked something like this. First, if Tesla or Apple is included, they always get half the votes because both are clear market leaders and making awesome stuff and they have pricing power and their stuff is seen all around us and it's therefore easiest to feel confident it will grow so it's a safe vote that doesn't really require any thinking and with a poll like this you also force someone to consider their age and their longevity so i i think i said you know which of these would you choose for the next 30 years so someone your age mike can vote with a high degree of confidence that they'll be around in 30 years with the hell to enjoy the spoils of their investment. Whereas somebody my age would be within sight of being eight years old. And then someone just older than me needs to be very healthy, lucky and optimistic, I guess, to expect to knock another 30 years out of life. So I guess 30 years for everyone is a meaningful percentage of their life expectancy and uh, and would have influence on how they vote. And then finally, any poll of this nature captures in, in all in a heartbeat, someone's risk propensity, I suppose. Mm. Like nobody thinks hard about this. It's a poll on Twitter. But in that, in that, like by the time your thumb lands down on your smartphone, you have considered 30 years, how long how long will I be, my risk propensity, and how much I like these businesses. You you make the decision quick and you just want the poll to get out of the way to see what everybody else uh chose. But um as I said, the you know the poll captures in some small way uh, people's risk propensity, but that does not come out in the end result, which was rolled up. Like if I polled the same four companies and asked everyone, which do you think is the riskiest investment? We definitely get a different reading. I don't know how different. I don't think it'd be the inverse of the choices we got, but I guess all of that is to say that you're capturing quite a lot of people's um view of themselves very quickly very very quickly and mm. and tesla was in fact you're right the winner hold on i have to find it now to see what in fact what came second place i think it's tesla got over half the votes airbnb yeah. was a distant second yes. then atlassian then netflix yeah netflix only got seven percent of the votes so you're right tesla got 54 percent airbnb got 23 percent atlassian 16 percent and netflix seven percent so that's quite that's quite polarized. Actually, as interesting as it is that the, um, over half chose Tesla, I think it's even more interesting that only 7% would choose Netflix. Especially considering the comeback Netflix has had. So it was over a year, maybe a year and a half ago, where it had that quarter where it showed its first subscriber churn ever, essentially, and the stock yeah. Yeah. fell off That's a cliff. True. And continue to fall because Netflix is so intrinsically linked with growth and with subscribers that that's the vast majority of the investment thesis. But since then, I think the initiatives that it's brought in to reinvigorate that subscriber growth have been working for sure. Like I think from June and July, they've added almost 6 million new subscribers with the password sharing crackdown. That's up from, I think... 2.7 2.7 million in April and May. So that shows that they are really, first of all, that they've been dealing with the saturated mm. population in the States, especially because that's where the real money making is for Netflix. They still, they figured out international growth, but they haven't figured out how to make proper money internationally yet. And I think, I'm not sure if this password sharing crackdown, if that was the break in case of emergency button, or if it's maybe a stopgap until they figure out how to truly penetrate like these fast-growing regions like South Asia and especially India, which I think is their big target. What 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 are your thoughts on the the whole situation at Netflix at the minute? Um, 
I have been a shareholder for 20 years and watched the story unfurl. And the one thing I've learned in that time is you just don't bet against it. And I've often said in the podcast that some of my big, all of my biggest mistakes in investing in some way are related to a sell. And I'm sure along the way, sorry, I know as a fact along the way, I sold uh, portions of my Netflix when I had this couldn't get any bigger mentality. Now, Tesla, I mean, say Netflix is a, is, is a function, if you like, of broadband availability. And it's still amazing to me how broadband isn't fully saturated, even in the United States of America. I mean, I'm looking at businesses like uh, Boston Omaha Corporation that are concerned with rolling broadband out into smaller towns. So even in the the first first world country, broadband isn't fully there yet for a lot of people. And I think there, there is still, I don't have the numbers at hand, but Netflix's opportunity still lies ahead. It's the only profitable movie house if you like to call it that and if Anne marie was here with us today she is like as everyone knows a fire hose of intellect on almost everything but on this particular subject i think she'd also agree that um that netflix has a lead on all the other movie um subscription services or i should say streaming services like disney plus apple mm. prime like they they of course have their own offering and even prime has bought its own studio but netflix did it it, it had a strategic approach which was called oh what was it called again was it called vendor lock-in or was that ray dalby i'll have to I'll actually i'll have to come back to that but the strategy they employed at the start was quite interesting because they started with the end point and were backwards towards the studio where studios start like warner brothers with the giant big gates and they produce the movies and push it out to the cinema and ultimately to the small screen. But when you think about the absolute user experience, Netflix had started at the end point. They didn't create content. They didn't own content. They simply sent you DVDs, which you returned in the post. And that was the relationship that they worked on rather than up at the other end. And all the other studios were at the other end. And in fact, that has played now to their major advantage because frankly, they've saturated the entire uh, vertical, if you like, and they, they now produce movies they produce shows, they produce, you know, bangers like uh, Stranger Things, and then they produce flops and they're not scared of taking moonshots because occasionally what they least expected to be a huge hit knocks the doors off the hinges, like making, uh, making of a murder. Was that one there about two years ago, which just oh, took the yeah, world by storm? Yeah. yeah. Like so, Squid, uh, Squid Game is that example. Squid well, Game. cost absolutely nothing in its Korean division and it became this worldwide hit. And what I find interesting about Netflix, just as a customer, is that you really don't know when that next great show is just going to land. They they don't know. When you're a subscriber to Prime, yeah, you're going to get quality shows and you're going to get the latest Indiana Jones or whatever it is. And there's no debating. It's, 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 it's a fabulous service. But with Netflix, you are going to get the Squid Game. And it's more prevalent on that service than any other. I, I suppose I'm drifting. But what I would say about the four companies that i polled it's it's worthwhile for our listeners like just to throw out one or two numbers um and i appreciate talking numbers over podcasts is ugly stuff but just if we talk about these businesses in descending order of size tesla today is an 865 billion dollar business so and it's been i think it's been in a trillion dollar club pretty sure it, it was yeah, yeah of yeah. course it has oh yeah oh yeah it was well into it so it's it's let's call it a trillion dollar business that's profitable and last quarter tesla had revenue of uh 25 billion dollars on a bottom line profit of nearly three billion dollars next uh biggest is netflix and it's a 200 billion dollar business so it's about one quarter or slightly smaller the size of tesla um it too is considerably bigger as was more or less everything two years ago um and it too is very profitable it had around eight billion in revenue last quarter and bottom line profit something like one and a half billion i don't i don't recall um airbnb is next in the size scale it's a 94 billion dollar business and it too is profitable in the last quarter it did about 2.6 billion in in sales and revenue and a bottom line about uh, 0.6 billion in profit and then the smallest of the four that we pulled uh is atlassian which is about half the size of of um 
Airbnb, and it's about a $50, $55 billion business, and it's not profitable. So, what, so obviously, people don't have those stats at hand when they're going to take to a poll. Uh, and if you had them, I think the poll would skew slightly because if you're investing in Netflix, a nearly trillion dollar business, and put it side by side by Airbnb, for example, which is a hundred billion dollar business or even smaller, you realize that, well, Tesla's 10x the size of Airbnb, and that would affect the way you'd vote. But of course, a quick and simple vote, really, as I said, people just wanted to get out of the way. But these votes really do hold the mirror up. And in a, in a split second, force you to, uh, I suppose, write a micro microscopic chapter of your autobiography. You're, you're somewhat uh, expressing your risk propensity, your interests, you're aligning yourself with the things you believe in. And I think that, that these, they're, they're fun. The polls are fun because they, yeah. they kind of cause you to tap into there. And really, I suppose when it, if it is a function of the type of investor you are, I think it's worthwhile you and I, uh, Mike, thinking about our, our describing ourselves, what is our investing style? So my question to you is, how do you describe your investing style in, in a sentence or two? Mm, that's a, good, a sentence or two would be tough. I think it's been quite haphazard Yeah. Uh, in the last few years. Obviously, we got caught up in that post-COVID bull market mm -hmm. where everything was going up and to the right and you seemed like an absolute genius. So I probably overloaded on unprofitable tech stocks at the start. I've been shedding a few of them since. But I, I, I don't think discussing my actual portfolio is the point of that question. It's more so what am I trying to achieve with my investing and working in a startup, you know, we don't have pension plans and all the rest. So my idea of investing is to set up that kind of pseudo pension for myself. And this is kind of my retirement fund that I would co contribute to hopefully once a month, depends on if I like to take trips to Bordeaux on the weekend and that kind of stuff. But having that discipline to kind of know that it's a habit rather than a once off and invest every month and build that portfolio and build that savings. Like this is, this is kind of the retirement portfolio we'll say. So that's my mm. take on investing at the minute. Mm, mm. It's um, like your advantage is your age. The fact that you can just keep throwing another $10, $50, $100 on the pile and know that you'll get some right and some wrong because you actually do, we all hope, have at least 30 years of working on that. I mean, it is unquestionably and comprehensively measured that time is the number one advantage for stock investors. And uh, I, again, I don't have the absolute stat to hand at the moment, but I, I think 95, 96% of Warren Buffett's wealth was generated after his 80th birthday. So he, he started young. Do you have that stat to hand? Uh, I think he was worth like 500 million when he was 65. And now he's worth what? 80, 90 billion. So figure mm -hmm. that out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I suppose just, to, I suppose, describing my investing style, which has been solidified over the years and hasn't varied a whole lot in the last um, 10 or 15 years, uh, I look to find the next Dell. And as our listeners have heard too many times, Dell is a business that grew 1600 fold in the decade of the 1990s, meaning that 10K in resulted in $16 million out. Now, obviously, that's about as rare an investment as you can even imagine. And after a life of trying, I've only had two 100 baggers. Um, and I'm not holding my breath for a 500 bagger, let alone a 1,000 bagger, and never even mind a 1,600 bagger like Dell. But I look for businesses that are fundamentally changing humankind for the better. That's a really important thing at a personal value level. And it's uh, obviously, this is just known as growth investing, meaning I accept there's going to be losers along the way, but only takes one Dell to change your life. And there's a lot of next Dells out there. And according to our analysis of 58,000 listed companies from 60 exchanges, there's about 12 Nextels out there. And that's a story for another podcast because backstage here at My Wall Street, we have been working very, very hard with um, state-of-the-art screeners and AI uh, to look at all of those businesses listed outside of America. I mean, today, um, there's 5,700 companies listed in America. And that is the place I've always gone fishing. But there's 58,000 companies listed 
in the world. And even if you go hard on it and go, well, let's just talk about first world countries and first world exchanges on businesses that have pretty good, clean financials, you're still talking about a shortlist of 30, 35,000 businesses, which is almost 5x uh, what's in America. Um, so that's, uh, and, and sorry, this new product, I really didn't mean to just wade into this water, but we've been we've been building this thing on NVIDIA chips. We're using hedge fund data. Um, and and I actually plugged in the four stocks that we looked at in, our, in that poll into the system to see which, uh, which we believe or which one looks positioned to do the best but <laughs> not to put too fine a point on it like what is the one uh, and we stick in the potential the, the the parameters for a hundred bagger which was as we've discussed loads of times on this podcast and interviewed the guy who wrote the book on it uh, chris mayer when you when you stick those four businesses atlassian airbnb tesla and uh netflix in which is the one that looks most favorable to grow many fold from here. So I actually have a view on what my favorite is, but we'll get there, I guess. Hmm. I have a question before we get into the, the poll again, and it's to do with your Netflix investment. So that was over 20 years ago now, was it? Yeah. 2003, um, 2003. was when I took my first position. Yeah, 20, yeah. So my question is, was the success of that investment dictating your further strategy so finding this finding this like up and comer so early and you know mm. i think what did you say you bought sold your car to buy netflix shares way back when yeah. or something like that yeah that's right so making that big bet uh and and it paying off and it being a hundred bagger did yeah. that then say i need to i can, i can and will recreate that success and you've done that again with tesla since has has that been a factor in why you invest this way or were you already doing it and that was kind of confirmation of the fact? Uh, my, 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 my dedication to my strategy hasn't been influenced by the outcome of the strategy. I was always mesmerized by just the fact that anything you can invest in can go, can go up 1600 fold. So I got lucky with netflix and in fact that luck wasn't apparent for the first 10 years and chris mayer says in his book that the average time for a company to grow 100 fold the average across every company that has ever grown 100 fold up until the point where he published his book is 25 years that's the average so you need to have the patience of like of a monk you just have to decide this is just there I'm leaving it out and as he says the coffee can portfolio i'm just leaving it out in the back garden until the day dot so i had no gray hair when i bought netflix and i'm fortunate enough now to have still a little bit of hair but but it's fully gray. <laughs> and 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 uh, so i i to your question mike no i i i didn't get i there wasn't like a positive loop or at least it wasn't so i wasn't so conscious of it that um that that i said oh yeah this is this is my strategy really what inspires me is that i love owning a piece of business that i think is doing good and doing something better than everyone else and when i heard about netflix it just sounded like a brilliant idea and when i first heard about tesla without even going into the science of it, i thought wow a manufacturer's going fully electric cars that's well that's part of the future and even though it wasn't crystallized in my line of sight and i never heard of anyone owning an electric car i'd never seen an electric car on, on the road um it was it just sounded right to me if i take under armor which at this stage is a very um i might say unexciting and uninspiring business but when i first invested in under armor it was super cool. The only one team in America had it. They had they were differentiating with super high tech sports apparel, wicking clothing, and I bought one online, uh, one of these wicking tops, uh, when I was really heavy into exercising, and I couldn't believe that wearing one of these compression tops, I was cooler than if I was literally bare skinned, and that was like incredible technology. So I invested in that. So I, I'm I'm not trying to reduce my investing approach to something as trivial as oh yeah i like to look at a company and i'd buy it but it, it certainly has influence chipotle sure. it does chipotle's a pitch again at a time when it was quite unique was we do organic um 
Mexican food in a fast food kind of style. And it just sounded great because more or less everyone likes Mexican and more or less everybody wants it fast. And it just sounded like it was taking an, an older business model where you'd sit down at a table in a Mexican restaurant and just making it more like uh, a subway assembly line. And the food was whole. And the guy had a passion founding CEO, Steve Ells, who was a qualified chef who spoke well. And I was like, yeah, I want to own a bit of that. And I'm doing it today. I continue to do it and I'll do it for the rest of my life. There's no doubt about it. I will be buying businesses when nobody wants to hear a word I have to say that that inspire me and interest me. And um, and I think uh, we found a good few of them already in Horizon. I'm not here to plug the, plug the service, but, you know, of the 20-something stocks I own in Horizon, I'd say three of them will turn out to be 50 to 100 baggers. But we're going to have to give it a lot of time. And that's the one thing that really drags people because 25 years, as we said, as I said, at the top was... It's a huge portion of your life. And for so many years, another thing Chris Mayer, excuse me, another thing Chris Mayer comprehensively studied and I lived and observed in real time is that there will be quarters and years where your businesses are letting you down. And um, as you well know, Mike, because you're my right-hand man on, on Horizon, I will say, I love ABC Corp. Here's why. And then a few weeks later, I'll go, I'm buying ABC Corp. And here's why. And then three months later, I have an audience of people with a sad face because the stock is down 50%. And that's ugly. I hate it. That's the one thing about my job I most hate, that the, the, uh, there are those who will listen to my word, follow the lead, and uh, take an action. And then they're sad because things have gone south. Whereas my twisted sense of 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 time it's like oh good we'll get some more and it doesn't matter we're just leaving it there for 20 years or 12 years or 10 years or whatever but a long enough time that really this quarter's results matter not they don't matter a tot truly they don't yeah that's the quote we used to always say was if you're looking at a quarterly report and basing your whole investment thesis on it you know mm. if you plan on holding for 10 years you're going to see 40 of them yeah, you exactly. Can't, you can't place so much importance on one fortieth of a, yeah. of of a of a of a time period. Um, okay, well, let's revert back. So, so we mentioned the four stocks there the, that you would buy and hold for thirty years, but you haven't actually told us which one you voted for. Mike, one of the things I love about this podcast is describing the shape of a curve <laughs> so often. <laughs> and our listeners turn up the radio. They go, oh, yeah, tell me, is it a V? Is it a W? Is it a C that's fallen over? Is it an I? Like everybody loves the shape of a curve on a podcast, and that's our thing, and we need to put a trademark on it. So I'm going to describe the four companies um, with two metrics. And then come back, come back and explain why these two metrics matter so much. And the first is Tesla. And I have data in front of me that starts in December 2013, rather, and finishes in June 2023. And it shows simply uh, annual revenue on a tra trading 12-month basis. And it is like a xylophone. It just goes up, 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 up. Okay? So you can just picture it. Tesla's revenue just gets better and better and better. And when you overlay on top of that return on equity, it's it's hovering, it's gone, it's like an undulating hill going upwards, okay? Yeah. And it's currently sitting at around 20-something percent, okay? So revenue, grow, 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 and return on equity, better, better, better. Yeah. When I look at Netflix, sorry, hit me. No, I was just going to say Tesla and Netflix both have this interesting, they're in this interesting position where a lot of people felt that their first mover advantage would wear off eventually. Yeah, and with the right. with the entrance of all these new competitors and all these established competitors, so you have the old studio heads, Disney, Warner Brothers, Paramount. Yeah. They're all coming in with their own streaming services. Same for yeah in the EV space, we have Ford, GM. Yes. All of them are coming in, and we're like, oh well, that's Tesla's advantage gone. But it's actually even more pronounced now because Tesla and Netflix are the only ones in their industry that are doing this profitably and efficiently, while all the rest, I think. Amazon, Apple, Disney are hemorrhaging cash on their streaming services. Ford, mm -hmm. Ford up their expected losses for 
3 billion to 4.5 billion on its EV division just this year. Wow. It just shows that, and I fell into this trap too, where you think, okay, once competitors come in, it's going to become so much more difficult, but actually it's showing off how much those 10, 20 years Tesla and Netflix have had before those competitors came in are standing to them now. And it's a really interesting phenomenon because you think, you think the opposite. You think, oh, well, it's not game over for them, but they're not the only person in the market right now. And it, it, it's even more pronounced nearly that advantage. That's a good point. I mean, when you read, if you do an MBA or read strategy books or do a master's in strategy, as I did a hundred years ago, like you, you basically, the, the word, the written word on, on the matter is that first mover advantage is time limited. Of course, it's time limited. Hence, you know, it's like letting somebody edit a trap first, but it is a huge advantage. And I think in the world of tech, uh, the lead that like Netflix, I mean, say Tesla, for example, has on all the other manufacturers on simply the data gathered by the cameras on the vehicle is ginormous, absolutely ginormous. As, as last time I checked, which was a good long time ago, uh, they had uh, nine, they had something like of all the, the the millions of miles road data gathered by um, cars or companies looking to do autonomous driving, Tesla had 99.1% of it. And I think the second place was uh, Waymo. Is it Waymo? Google's Waymo, yeah. Waymo, yeah. So they have, like, so that first mover advantage is, it is time limited, but it's, it's by no means trivial. It's huge. Levi Strauss, we spoke about them on this podcast a few weeks ago. They had first mover advantage. They in, invented the modern denim jeans and look at where they are now over a hundred years later. So first mover advantage can set you up to be the leader and to set the rules of your industry for a very long time. And Tesla is the leader and setting the rules of the EV industry. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I interrupted you. We we're going to move on to Netflix there and describe another. Yeah. So Tesla or something. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Tesla's revenue is the xylophone and its ROE return on equity just gets better. Netflix, it's, it's, we, I have uh, for the same time period, 10 years of revenue. Um, it's trading 12 month revenue. It's like a xylophone a bit, but you can see it's flattened off. It's kind of tapered off. Revenue has, has its growth isn't as tired and you just can see it's, it's, it's cooled a little. It's, return on equity has deteriorated where it was about two years ago. It was at 35% and it's currently drifted back down to about 20%. But any business that has a return on equity of 20% or more is quite elite. So it's not like it's a bad news story. And I'm going to come back and discuss return on equity uh, in a moment. And in fact, why these two metrics matter in a moment. When we look at Airbnb, which is comparatively a new business that so we have data from December 2017 in our system called Nexus. And it, uh, it, it the revenue for Airbnb for the first couple of years was up, up, down, up, right? Okay, kind of flat. But then in the last three years has grown quite substantially. So it's, it's flattish, but now then started to accelerate. And I think that was a consequence of the work from anywhere movement and uh, I guess a back a back uh, tailwind rather from from the virus. Its return on equity is currently has gone up 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 up, and it's now around forty five percent. And then finally, Atlassian's revenue is the stuff you just want to see. It's like that exponential growth from for over the last ten years, up 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 up. But its return on equity is is very poor. Actually, it has a negative return on equity. So when you superimpose that date on top, a picture emerges which for me, makes the decision of which of these four businesses is the best to buy and hold now. It makes it very easy. What I tell you? Go for it, please. <laughs> Half an hour Airbnb. in and we're getting your answer. Airbnb. 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 And there's, there's, I have four reasons why Airbnb for me is a clear leader. And I think in the poll, it came out second place. Um, firstly, it has a passionate uh, has passionate and inspirational founders and the CEO, Brian Chesky, uh, their chief strategy, Nate something or other unpronounceable surname, and then Joe Gebbia, who's the chairman of Airbnb.org, are four very inspiring um, visionaries who, who are leading that business from day one through to today. The second is the business has become a mega brand in an area that was once full of niche players and it was very fragmented. And now it it's their name. It shapes the industry the way 
Tesla shaped the EV industry with its first mover advantage. The third reason is in the age of trillion dollar companies, Airbnb at 100 billion is still a teenager. Like it's still, it's certainly not small. 100 billion is a giant business that's been a huge success. But uh, when you put it beside some of the other companies out there, uh, it's a monster. And then the fourth reason is when we look at the trends, the ones I just read out that everybody turned up the radio for, revenue is growing like mad and return on equity genuinely is the stuff of dreams. And I just want to just get, before I shut up and ask you your answer, Mike, I just want to explain why those two numbers matter. Well, first, a study conducted by Boston Consulting Group, BCG, and Morgan Stanley about two years ago um, of individual stock performance between 1990 and 2009 found that the primary driver of stock performance is very simply sales and eventually profit growth. So the reason I described why is the money in the till, the shape a year on year, why does that matter? It's because it isn't a matter of opinion that sales and profit growth is a is a good thing. It's a matter of fact. It's been completely comprehensively studied and published by BCG and Morgan Stanley that businesses that have been proven to grow the most are ones that are growing revenue year on year, quarter on quarter, time after time, and it's going up, up, up like that xylophone. And the longer the investment period, the less the purchase multiple matters. Uh, and that was an outcome of their study. And these two... Um, fundamental business factors determine the stock's return, revenue and profit. Uh, but the nuance, nuance that they said is that sales growth has to come from value adding activities, either in the form of direct profits or strengthening, strengthening the business's network effect with each new customer added. Now you think about Airbnb and its network effect. This is exactly what it's doing. It's ramping sales and it's ramping profit, but it's building out this network of uh, guests who eventually become hosts and hosts who eventually become guests and people become, they cross the, uh, they cross the line and they are now comfortable with this model where previously they would never have considered going to stay in somebody's home, either they're in a room or the whole thing. Then the second number I read out, Mike, was the return on equity, which is a financial ratio that measures the profitability of a company in relation to shareholders' equity. And I, I, I can't even, I'd be embarrassed to tell you many times I've had to Google this to remind myself what it is. And it's calculated by dividing the company's net income by its shareholders' equity. So the higher an ROE indicates that a company is more profitable and more efficient in using its shareholders' money. And a lower ROE indicates the company is less profitable and less efficient. Um, and again, just I really hope we haven't people switching it off now. I'll just give you one tiny more bit of detail. So just so we know what those two things are, net income is the company's profit after taxes. Shareholders' ac equity is the total assets minus the total liabilities. And here's how I'd explain return on equity to a five-year-old, because frankly, that's what you get when you look at my intellect with an x-ray machine. Hmm. If you had a lemonade stand and you started with $100, that's your shareholder's equity, and you sell $200 worth of lemonade using ingredients that your mom gave you for free, that's your net income. So your return on equity is $200 divided by $100, which is 20%, which means you're making $2 uh, for every $10 you invest in the lemonade stand. And that's a winning business. So that's what return on equity is. And then finally, before I should up, why does this matter? Well, again, when I interviewed Chris Mayer, author of 100 Baggers on Where to Find Them, I asked him at the end of that interview where we walked through 26 or so factors that he looks for when assessing if a business is going to grow 100 fold. I said, which one is the one? If you could only look at one number, he said, return on equity. In a heartbeat, that for him is the most important single number. So it's not a single number story. Um, and he said, it needs to be above 20% for 100 baggers. And if this was the only number I could see, this is the one I choose. So bringing that all together, when we look at our four companies that I polled, 
um, uh, and I, I, I'm a shareholder in all four, I should say, and I like them and I want them all to succeed. But Airbnb with revenue growth and like eye-watering return on equity looks to me like a business that someday will, will no longer be a teenager and will in fact join a trillion dollar cl- uh, club. And it's just for me a matter of waiting and I'm going to give it 20 years. There's no question or doubt about that. That's great. Okay. Um, before we move on then, I'm just going to give a quick promo to our newsletter, Charging and Fearless. So Charging and Fearless is one of the most unique products on the market and it gives you a free stock pitch every week from an international stock exchange. So no one else is covering the markets we cover with Charging and Fearless where, do, where we deliver a new weekly stock pitch that could be from Amsterdam, Tokyo, Paris, or somewhere in between. So a completely free stock pitch. You'll have it read in about 30 seconds flat and we can almost guarantee most of these companies are going to be brand new to you, which is where you get an edge. Sign up now in the show notes for this episode. Okay. Um, Mike, Airbnb. Mike, Mike, I, you tell me, what's your favorite of the four? And give us a bit of context. Yeah, I actually agree with you with Airbnb. Um, I like all of them. I think I've outlined my reasoning behind Tesla and Netflix and that first mover advantage still being very much in play. I think especially for Netflix, I think its competitors in the streaming industry are an absolute mess. Like there's risks involved there as well. I think this rider strike might expose the royalties and the uh, residual structure it has, and that could eat into margins. I think in five years time, we could see Netflix still at the head of the industry, but it might be a very different industry. I think Apple and Amazon might look at the lost leaders, the money they're sinking into their streaming services. Disney, Bob Iger's already got the cost cutting out on Disney Plus. He's up in the prices, but then he's also locked into buying Hulu at the at the rest of Hulu off Comcast for ten billion. So Disney's a mess. HBO Go, HBO Max, Max, whatever it's called now. I don't see any competitive juices around Netflix. So. Netflix is up there for me. I like Airbnb too. I think there are some inherent risks with Airbnb that I think we might discuss later in Big Deal or No Big Deal. And it's interesting, I think, what makes Airbnb so great can also be one of its weaknesses, if that makes sense. So the uniqueness and the the peer-to-peer nature of it, we'll say, the lack of standards that you don't get with hotels and chains and everything else can also be a detriment because it's brand power is controlled by one individual host. You know what I mean? Like I mentioned, I was in Bordeaux at the weekend at the match and my uncle was staying in an Airbnb and it was very clear there was an opportunistic host who stuck it up for the weekend that was in it for the rugby fans who wouldn't really care. And, and you know, that actually weakens airbnb's brand strength because my uncle was like oh well i had a bad experience with airbnb and you don't get that if you go to the radisson or hilton or marriott where it's been standardized and i know it's standardized through price points and everything else but it is just a factor to take into consideration and the other big risk with airbnb is the regulation which we're going to discuss in big deal or no big deal so i won't double up on it but uh yeah i think there's a lot to consider i think atlassian is too big of a company to not be gap profitable. And I know there's a lot of accounting kind of tax stuff around that, that makes it, I suppose, reasonable for it not to be profitable. We talk about stock buys compensation and then stock buybacks and the tax efficiency of that. But I think you just got to be more efficient on your bottom line there for Atlassian to be up with these kind of big three stocks. So, um, so that's kind of my, opinion kind of neck and neck there with netflix and airbnb over the four of them yeah and i must say to our listeners that um just before we went live we slacked each other um our choice and so there was no group think i i didn't sway mike and he didn't sway me but it's just interesting to see of the four that one got a double vote and uh, i suppose that's great i love um i love hearing when my thoughts are our, our <laughs> confirmation affirmation, yeah. thank you yes but, but i actually prefer when someone actually argues me down on something because it certainly challenges it but in this case i'll take it very happy with that okay uh will we get into big deal or no big deal so uh to finish yeah. up the show uh so yeah, i'm let's gonna do start it. with tesla so we have tesla and airbnb and big deal or no big deal just to make it 
make it a full loop here on the show. It writes um, itself, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. So shares jumped at the start of the week after Morgan Stanley predicted the Dojo supercomputer could add 500 billion in market value. Emmett, you're looking at this. Big deal or no big mm. deal? Well, what's another 500 billion in the scheme of Tesla's size? It's something like 50, maybe 45% upside. So it's kind of big, but what's really big is that this supercomputer could potentially put Tesla at an advantage in a market worth $10 trillion. And that's really big. Imagine owning a piece of a company that eliminated or almost eliminated road deaths, because that's what we're looking at here. Like the biggest killer of young people aged 10 to 24 in the world is road injury. And um, that's according to the WHO, um, who said that last year, 1.3 million deaths were uh, in that age bracket were as a result of car crashes and car injuries. And when we are looking at a business that might cure that or remove that, I just think that's a goosebumps moment. I think it's a big deal. What would you say? I... I have my misgivings around this robo taxi thing. I think people in terms of valuing the company and in terms of the following the stock has, people are taking it for a given when there's so much more unknowns there. Yeah, it's uh, true. And just to price it all in now seems very eager, I'll say. So mm -hmm. I, I think it mm -hmm. could be absolutely massive, but there's so many more hurdles to get over before it really becomes a factor. So that's why I wouldn't really touch Tesla stock because mm. there's there's too much credit for this giving into it. Um, yeah. And but, Morgan Stanley really are just saying, remember I interviewed Brett Winton, the chief strategy officer of ARK Invest. Yeah. It must have been two years ago. I mean, ARK, who are, you know, very bullish on growth stocks, um, they have put what Morgan Stanley spoke about there at the start of this week at central and pivotal to their investment thesis for the longest time so it's not news it just so happens that morgan stanley came out and said it yeah absolutely mike i'm gonna hit you with a deal or no big deal and you introduced it already the airbnb ban has come into effect in new york city is this a, a deal <laughs> oh i blew it i only first time i ever had to. Is, this a big, is this a is this a big deal or no big deal uh it's kind of tough to give a straight answer right now because in a, in of itself it's not that big of a deal uh it's about one percent of overall revenue is in, from new york city i'm sure this will go through a number of appeals and everything in the courts as well so actually actually saying that legally if airbnb could manage to set a precedent that this type of regulation isn't legal it would be a huge positive for them i don't know if that's the case i think the first kind of challenge Airbnb had was shot down pretty quickly by New York courts. So I'm not sure, but what is a big deal is the downstream effects of this. So if it proves to be a success and alleviates the stress in the housing and rental markets in New York, a lot of other major cities with similar issues are going to think of doing the same thing. So Barcelona, Lisbon, Dublin, even all have Airbnb as the scapegoat for their own housing and rental crises, which shouldn't really be the case i think airbnb is a small player and a much bigger factor especially in dublin like there's so many things that are causing the shortage in housing and airbnb is a factor but a small one but i think it's an easily like identifiable scapegoat and it also gives the politicians a kind of straw man to go at as well but that that's mm. that's a different conversation so so i think we can't really say anything yet, but the potential for this could be a very big deal. But before we kind of get into the scaremongering of it, I just want to give uh, the details on how strict the actual restrictions are. So it's called Local Law 18, and it says that from now on, all short-term rental hosts in New York must register with the city, and only those who live in the place they're renting and are present as someone staying can qualify, and people can only have two guests. So that's why Airbnb has basically called it a ban because it's so ridiculously stringent that it's not really feasible to short-term let your apartment anymore. So I don't know if cities that are incredibly reliant on tourism, more so than New York City, whose economy obviously has huge tourism, but it, it's, it runs on a lot more than that. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be a viable option for them. I'm not sure. So it's a wait and see 
wait and see deal for me for now. I, I'm just not sure if that commitment from other cities would would make sense. So so yeah, mm. Mm. that's my that's my kind of two cents on the matter. What 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 do you think? Yeah, well, every giant business when it goes from being a niche player to a multi market player encounters their own version of tricky situations and when yeah, you think it's about platform Airbnb, risk like as in it's a platform Facebook, risk google yeah. amazon have all gone through a different type of the same issue exactly exactly i mean uh i mentioned chipotle they they had a, a, a they had a chapter where there was um was it e coli in their in their guac which uh basically nobody wants but it's a consequence of crushing avocados and leaving them exposed for a very short period of time and this was a huge impact i think jack in the box uh many years ago had a couple of customers who passed away as a consequence of something that really was just uh wasn't designed out so every business has really has terrible hazards in its own in its trajectory that they need to navigate when we look at airbnbs and as you described every single market brings its own considerations so whether we're talking about paris city new york city barcelona and they are three cities that matter a lot to airbnb it's a shame that the regulation in new york has been so stringent because we don't want to find that there's a daisy chain of other cities that take influence and follow the lead which i think is quite probable but do i think that a beautiful house in the middle of tuscany is not going to be opening its doors and welcoming uh, guests you know for the next in in the next 20 30 40 50 years no way there'll be more and more of them so i think they do need to navigate these local regulations where there are hot spots and zones that are considered to be um inaccessible to the locals um and that's just one of the hazards of the business as you said it's a platform risk and i'm not trivializing it it's huge but i wouldn't let it influence my view of buying a business that i believe is going to be one of the great american icon brands of the next hundred years okay all right on that we'll finish up so uh before we do i just want to give a quick word from our friends and sponsors at vodafone business uh Vodafone's recently launched their VHub digital advisory service. So it offers Irish businesses of all sizes free one-to-one digital support and advice. You don't even have to be a Vodafone business customer to avail of this service. So just search Vodafone VHub to book a call with one of their digital experts. And we will leave a link as well in the show notes for today's show. Emmett, thanks for joining me and everyone listening. Thank you very much for joining the two of us. Remember, if you have any questions you'd like answered or elevator pitches you'd like to tackle, make sure to get in touch. You can find us on Twitter at MyWallStreetHQ, on TikTok at MyWallStreet, or simply just email us at pod at MyWallStreet.com. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a review and tell your friends all about us. Thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.